Bonjour, bonjour, hola, this is our third episode of the podcast from SBS at La Vuelta. I'm Christophe Manet and of course I'm joined with cyclist and commentator extraordinaire is Dave McKenzie. I'm running out of a superlative every time for you, mate. Well, I like that you've thrown it on the cyclist. Um, that, that ended many years ago, even though I do, I do still ride a bike, but hey, I will take that any day of the week. I'm very good. Uh, I hope you're well, mate. And I hope you've been wearing sun cream, um, lapping up that late summer weather in, in Europe. How's it been? It's been amazing. Uh, it's between sun, heat, and a lot of rain as well. Yes. Uh, Spain has, yeah, Spain has done failed to deliver about the, uh, the rain as well, the rain part. And there's a few videos on my social medias where, yeah, there's a bit of, we've been rained out a bit on the ground. The rain mainly in Spain on the plains, <laughs> or what's that, how does that, how does that saying go? I don't know, but it's true. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, it's been impacting the riders as well, of course. We've been some, uh, and we know the Spain and the Vuelta can be epic, but some of the finishes we saw uh, this week were a bit chaotic, a bit muddy, what do you think? We've had, we've had some crazy, yeah, some crazy stages. I've got to say, um, and we say this every year, but it's interesting, I've spoken to a few people but just fans basically of the sport that I know. And they've said, is the Vuelta just a more exciting race than the Tour or the Giro, at least this year? And I said, well, I said, it's this age-old debate. Both both the Giro and the Tour, you know, obviously are a beast of their own and they give us great entertainment. But the Vuelta is a special bike race. And it's like this frenetic sort of organized chaos race, which is maybe what the Giro used to be. Um, that there's just some crazy things that have happened at the Vuelta and and on top of that, some incredible racing as well. And there's still so much uh, more to to happen as well. But you're right, the, the Vuelta is kind of always an organized chaos, but this year it's been delivering. And we knew from, from pretty much the beginning that when we looked at the roster for this race, this year was always going to be an amazing race. Yeah, that's right. You know, on the start line, you've got the Tour de France current champ and last two editions... Uh, in Jonas Vingegaard, you got Primoz Roglic who won the Vuelta three times, um, Remco Evenepoel. So going head to head with those guys, you know, just to mention a few. And then we had, you know, we've had a good a good bunch of Australians as well lining up. I think almost a record at the Vuelta for the Aussies. So it's been a great race, and you know, we find ourselves in the position now, second rest day, with an American leading over his two teammates. And the big question mark is, can set course go all the way? And will the Vuelta and win the Vuelta, or will it be because it looks like it's only going to be potentially one of his teammates that could beat him? And should they beat him? I think they shouldn't. And, and that, that's I mean, that's a whole debate of the the, the podcast. I think uh, today, should the teammates of Sepkus attack him? When you see the gaps between him and Vingegaard and uh, Primoz Roglic, would that be even fair? I mean, would that be a dirty? Tactics if Vingegaard attack his own teammates. Bit condescending, no? Yeah, well, he's he's already done it once, and it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing. But he attacked on the Col de Tourmalet. They could have followed in and ride defensive, but I guess you can argue that they 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 need to attack still their rivals. They don't they shouldn't rest on their laurels, and if they can take more time on their rivals, they should. So Vingegaard attacked. Interestingly, Kuss attacked right near the top of the summit finish, ripped back some of that time because. Vingegaard was obviously eating into the lead of um, his teammate. But now, you know, and I'll just put a disclaimer in when I say only potentially his two teammates can beat him. In actual fact, I've looked through what's left of the race, Christoph. If I can just run through quickly. Stage 16, summit finish. Stage 17, summit finish, including the Ongleroo. Stage 18, summit finish, plus five climbs. 
Stage 19 is flat. Stage 20 has 10 categorized climbs in it. So it is a monster final week. And there's nothing to say Wama Yusu or someone else that's, you know, in that top five potentially can still win this race. But we, we've been praising Seb Kirst as well uh, for all, all, all his uh, successes, I guess, over, over the, the, the years. Not successes on, on the podium, but successes as making his team uh, yeah. so successful. But he's not a bad climber. Climbing is his forte as well. So this yeah. is a third week that could actually be a headache for anyone else but Seb Kirst. It's true. It's true. He's got a, he's got a, so he's got a couple of hurdles, I think, to overcome. Um, you know, one is his rivals. That's the biggest threat, I suppose, you can talk about. Two, let's remember he's ridden the Giro and the Tour this year. So he's riding his third Grand Tour of the year. Oblite, as you say, the first two were in domestic duties. But he's still ridden them. He's still done the same amount of kilometers. And deep into the mountains, he was always there looking after his, you know, his main leaders. So he's going to be fatigued. He's going to be fatigued. And if if he does go on to win this Vuelta, and I've asked Matty Keane in this, and as we know, Matty's hot on the stats. He generally doesn't miss much. When was the last time a guy won a Grand Tour after doing all three in the one year? And, and Matty sort of said, I don't know. He said, I can't, I can't tell you off the top of my head. And I can't think of a, a, a rider that has won all three. Uh, sorry, that has won one when he's ridden all three. So this would be sort of unprecedented, which would make it even cooler if Sepkus wins. Um, and all of all the things that you and I talked about, an American winning, you know, we need we need America to build back up again. Um, you know, we want the corporate bucks, don't we, as a sport, yeah. let's face it. Um, but it would be good for the sport. So... There we're, is not, we're, not shallow, we're not shallow enough. No, we're not shallow no, no, enough. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, every other sport is sold out, so, you know, we might as well. <laughs> yeah. But but when you think about this, though, uh, Sepkus is about to set his own uh, his own records, of course. But Jumbo Visma as well, when you think about the same team winning three different gun tours, potentially with three different yeah. winners, three different riders, and one that we don't accept or expect to be here. Uh, at this pointy end of the race in red, Sepp Kuss, uh, yeah. that would already be an amazing year for, for Jumbo Visma. And this this would be the record on top of it. Yeah. And look, there's, a, I guess, so to go back to the, the part about, you know, will Vingago or Roglic, you know, want to win it or try and win it. If I, if I was team management right now, I'd be sitting down post-rest day and saying, okay, guys, here's the deal. Sepp has worked for both of you at every Grand Tour you've won, because that's true. He's going to keep working for you in the Grand Tours that follow this year. So the Tour de France next year, the Giro, if they go there to win it. Right now, it's payback. You've got to work for Sepp. The only reason you don't work for Sepp is, is if he physically falters. And I think that's a fair thing. You know, we want the best rider to win, but Sepp Kuss is proving right at the moment he's he's the best guy. He's the best guy because he's leading the bike race. So I think management actually should pull rank and just call it and say that's, that's how it is. And out of respect for him, you both should um, you both should ride for him. We don't often agree, but I totally agree with you, Michael. Totally agree with you on this one. And and just one final point, I could be wrong. Just the body language for me, right? And I don't dislike Jonas Vingegaard. I think he's a, an amazing champion, and he's a good guy. I think, but to me, the synergy with Sepp Kuss and Roglic, the friendship seems a lot closer, and the friendship with Sepp Kuss and Vingegaard. It seems fine, but it's a business, it's a work, it's a workman-like, you know, work colleague sort of relationship. That's what I feel like when you see them interacting on the cameras and 
I think we've talked about in our last pod and Maddie and I have in the commentary, we're really lucky in the Vuelta where they go backstage in the green room immediately post-stage following the riders, so the stage winner, the leader, etc., that they have the audio turned up so we can actually listen in on the conversation. And there's been everything's been fine, but it just gives you more of an insight into the relationship of, that they have as teammates, as as rivals, you know, so when Remco's backstage with these guys and they're yapping and chatting, you see the body language. And I just feel like Roglic is totally fine with Sepp winning, but I'm not convinced Jonas Vingegaard is fine with it. I th- he might not say anything, but I'm not sure he's 100% fine. You're plotting so this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of Jumbo Visma for now, because we'll talk about them uh, in a sec again. Uh, Remco. Remco had one bad day, and all of a sudden, the Twitterati is lashing on uh, the Belgian. Yeah. He's not good enough, and so on. Um, what do you make of that one day? He cracked, but the, day, the, the next day, he sort of delivered and uh, answers all the question. Yeah. Yeah, no, good good point and good discussion point. So my my three takes on this, right? I'll go back before his, let's call it a capitulation. I want to go back a step before that. I was a little bit, he he wasn't, he was, it was like he was rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, he was complaining at the start about the rain and racing in darkness. I sort of agreed with it, but I'm like, you're 22, you, you seem like you've suddenly... You're the top dog and now you want to complain about everything and yet there's always pros on such smaller wages than you that don't complain or don't have a voice to you know speak their mind so he was he was i'll say it he was getting in my head a bit and i was like i was off the remco bandwagon right and i think you guys knew it you know on our on our group chats i was like eh, i'm off remco <laughs> then he capitulates loses 23 minutes then you go wow it's real racing, you know, and I love that. I don't, I don't, I didn't wish him to lose that much time, but you know, I love the fact that what we're seeing now is really real bike racing. You know, they're human beings; they're not robots. So that's the second part. The third part, he wins the next day, and I watched the highlights because I didn't commentate that stage. The best bit was when he crossed the line and just burst into tears, and just, you know, he let it all out. He let his emotions out. And he just let it pour out, and I loved it. And now I'm so back on Remco. <laughs> After that, I loved him because I because I love the human side, and I love it when they let their wall down. And I felt like he completely let his wall down. Uh, and yeah, well, I mean, what a champion! Yeah, absolutely. But talk, talk us through one thing though. What does happen in the head of a rider like Remco when you said it? He capitulated on on that stage, and then the next day, there's something, there's some fire in him. That just got him to say, you know what? Yesterday was yesterday, but today is today. Well, I don't have to say it. It's really what he said in his post-race interview when he won the stage. And he said, you know, I had some bad thoughts yesterday. I lost all that time. I felt terrible. I didn't sleep much. He said, I had a terrible sleep. And I had all the negative thoughts going around in my head. He said, then I woke up in the morning and went, right, hit today with everything you've got. And he did. And he won the stage. And that, to me, we, we know he's a champion. We know he's a freak athlete. That to bounce back the very next day, and I think his body just shut down on him. The day before, well, it did. His body shut down on him the day before, and he just couldn't fire. And it just happened to be the Queen stage. You know, it could have been, it could have been a flat stage, and we wouldn't have known, and he would have shielded it from his rivals, and he would have been fine. And he might have bounced back now and be still in the battle for the win. 
it happened on the Tourmalay stage. He capitulated, but he showed his true, you know, championship of, of coming back and winning. And yeah, you know, that that's one of the best 48 hours I think we've seen from a cyclist this year. Yeah, absolutely. But what does that say, Maka, uh, for the team itself? When you look at the roster, Yombo Visma, they're so solid. The team is so deep into uh, their the, the, the strength. And maybe in terms of uh, what Remco's got around him, it just shows that maybe he didn't have the team with him, or am I wrong? Uh, yeah, I think I think if we if we isolate his capitulation, the team couldn't have done a single thing. You know, when, when okay. you capitulate like that, when you're flat, the team, you know, short of pushing you up the climb, which they're not allowed to do, there's nothing they can do on a day like that. Yes, they're not the team of Jumbo Visbar, you know, when it goes deep in the mountains, but they've actually, I think they've actually been pretty good as a team. Like, and even even on the climbing days. A couple of them have lasted longer than what I thought they would. So, yeah, sure, sure, sure a, a, a team like Yama Vismar is going to be going to be better for him. You know, it's, it goes without saying. But I think on this occasion, you know, he just has to wear it that that he just wasn't good enough on one particular day. And the key of my chat here is because Landa is going to that team to help Remco next year. Would yes. someone like Landa have help him on a day like this one? Well, Atlanta, unfortunately, you know, the the freelander signs would have been up halfway up the tall lane because they would have said, <laughs> yeah. mate, it's over. You, you better leave. Now, not even Lander could have helped him, but that it is a good point. You know, they're, they're investing in, and they need to, they need to invest in some really good climbers. And guys like Lander who are at the back end of their career, probably still motivated, still want to race, but now are happy to let go of their dreams and actually focus on helping a guy win the Tour de France or, you know, which I'm yeah. sure that's what the, surely that's what the goal should be for Rio yeah, next yeah. year, I think. 100%. Uh, one, one mention here though, Roman Bardet on that escapade from Remco on that day. Uh, what did you make of it? Uh, because he had the strength, he didn't win the stage, but he showed some really good display of strength, but also sportsmanship. We saw yeah. this thing with the bottle. I, I yeah. was very quick to send you that footage because I'm really proud of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you like not all Frenchmen are dirtbags. <laughs> exactly, not all of them. <laughs> Just to uh, uh, alleviate what I'm doing balance. to you, you know, <laughs> yeah, balance it out. Uh, but what do you make of Barde this season and on this Vuelta as well? He's a champion. Barde is a champion, isn't he? We've always, like, you know, jokes aside, we've always loved Barde. And because of the way he presents himself, uh, you know, on and off the bike, the way he's spoken in interviews, he's actually—I think he's actually a real gentleman. And yeah, you know, that sportsmanship, like you say, that shows his true colours. That alone, and he's a fighter. He's a racer. You know, he—he he, he won't win a Grand Tour, Bardet, but he's come close a couple of times. And he's still—he's still a racer, and he's still got a lot of worth to a team. Um, yeah, no, he's—he's a—he's a, he's a good egg, Roman mm-hmm. Bardet. He, he's one of the good guys. Let's also remember that on week one, he also helped, not help, help, not help uh, Martinez to claim and to maintain his, uh, his red jersey uh, when, uh, when he helped him through the climb. Not saying he did because he can't really do it. It's not the same team, but the French flag was not far from this. Uh-huh, yes. Okay, I didn't miss that, but, you know, I might have to send that on to the UCI commissaires just to, you know, get them to check over the vision. Um, different teams, uh, not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go back to uh, quickly uh, towards this podcast. Uh, let's go back to Jumbo Visma winning as well on the land of Britain uh, with uh, Wood Van Aert winning the Tour of Britain. Yeah, it's sort of been under the radar a bit. I've, 
feel like Tour of Britain, I guess because of Walters on and it's, you know, back end of the season. But one thing I did see, um, I watched the snippets of highlights and Van Aert, you know, superstar-y and at one week stage races like that where the climbs aren't super long, of course, he's going to dominate, you would think. But a lot of people complained about that it was a boring race. And I'm presuming yeah. a lot of these people complaining because of the British, boring no, race. come on. They're Are not English. complaining. <laughs> and I'm thinking, whinging pom. <laughs> I hate to say it. But a lot of people were complaining on social media. So they've watched it in live time, I presume. So now I confess I haven't watched. I've watched some of the highlights. That's all. But they're talking about just about every stage being a bunch sprint and being way, way controlled and other teams not attacking Jumbo Visma enough. It's sort of like, unless you've pedaled a stroke as a pro cyclist, I don't think you have the right to talk about how boring a race can be until you've been in it yourself. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, what's your... And now I'm asking someone who hasn't turned a exactly <laughs> as a pro, but I want your opinion. Are you saying I have got no right to talk? You know? <laughs> no, everyone else except you, because now I want your opinion. Uh, I would just say last stage. Last stage was... a. Uh... Uh, won by uh, Rodriguez, and he went he went on the fifty kilometers uh, breakaway as well. So it's, things have happened, but you know, uh, Britain, I guess, it's not a country where you could find the Tourmalet. You can't find those heavy, heavy climbs. Uh, so you know, in my opinion, is uh, sprinting is part of the race, and maybe the Tour of Britain this year was more as a inverted comma crit yeah. race. You know, they had a lot more sprinting stages, and for sure, for sure, you know the route when you start watching a race if you look at the at the route you know it's going to be this way you know? yeah yeah and and i look i defend a little bit race organizers too of you know i've been loosely involved in smaller races like herald sun tour and uh -huh. uh, tour down under that i work on as a commentator but i you know i talk to the ops people and i know the, the hard work they put in and in a place like the uk people for people who don't understand it is actually really hard to put a bike race on, like Australia, as in yeah, the and the law the laws are very hard as well. The laws are hard, and you know we think it's hard in Australia. It is, but we're twenty million people, right, or twenty five million people, and okay, we don't we don't race bike races in Central Australia. It's pretty much down the east coast and around in WA and Adelaide, but we're twenty five million. The UK's got seventeen million people, not even the size of New South Wales. So yep. think about the traffic congestion etc and I've, i raced tour of britain you know 20 years ago when i was racing a bike and i can tell you there was one day we went the wrong way and i mean we went the wrong way by like <laughs> five kilometers yeah we literally went off course it was it was a complete disaster another day we sprinted into a car park instead of sprinting to in, instead of turning right into the finishing straight we turned left into a car park like six of us it was hilarious it was so funny I mean, I laugh about it now, but, you know, race organizers have a really tough gig and a lot of it is the cost of putting it on. They're trying to, they're trying to run these events on a shoestring or, the, or they're running them on a shoestring. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd, people want to complain, but I think cheap is you got to think about all the aspects that come into it. Yeah, I can't wait for your book of anecdotes, uh, my guy. There's some I didn't know. You know? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, 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 there's more. There's more. There's more where that one comes from, I can assure you. Okay, let's stop the whinging as well, but I'll add something. One, one last thing on the Tour of Britain. Let's also remember that the Women's Tour of Britain was cancelled uh, this year because they didn't have sponsors, they didn't have funding. So stop whinging and enjoy what you have because 
Yeah. There's already races that have been cancelled with this economic downturn. So yeah, you should and they've had stop a couple winning. of tough years that yeah. to, women's Absolutely. tour haven't they? And again, it goes back to that lack of funding. So let, let's hope it gets off the ground because it previously it's been an amazing race. Hundred um, percent, uh, and, and crowds roadside, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, and conclude this podcast with, of course, uh, one of the greatest uh, cyclists we've ever seen uh, on on a bike race that has retired is Anamik van Vluten that just uh, basically drew the curtain on her career. Uh, what an amazing champion. What an amazing rider. What an amazing send-off as well for Anamik van Vluten. Yeah, and, you know, people like to use the word goat. <laughs> to me, there's got to be a few goats. I don't know if there's ever, and I'm talking men or women, uh, and if you, even if you have second separate categories in the men and in the women and men are combined. I think there's still a handful of goats. She's one of them. She has to yep. go down as one of the greatest that we've ever had in our sport. I mean, you know, let's, we can't even reel off all of her results because it's through the roof. No, and, but some, some of the key ones, world champion, but also, uh, of course, first ever winner of the new edition of the Women's Tour de France, so Tour de France Femme, yep. avec Zwift. The Giro three times or four times, mm -hmm. Vuelta. If she had have won the tour this year, she would have won basically the equivalent of the three grand tours for women. The Giro, yep. the Vuelta, and of course the TDF. She didn't, Demi Vollering won, but she put up a pretty good damn fight, didn't she? And yeah. it's easy. We take it out of, well, we don't put it in context because we look at the men's and we've always looked at the men's because a lot of these races for the women didn't exist. And, you know, plus... What the the men have the five monuments of cycling, um, you know, Flanders, Roubaix, Lombardia, um, help me out. Yeah, no. There's two others, <laughs> Liège. That's it. I think I've got all five. So there's the five monuments. The women don't have the five monuments. They have some of those events, so like Flanders and, of course, now Roubaix has started. But they've got other World Cup races that mm -hmm. are bigger for them, that, that's, that, that are their biggest. And... You know, the, the audience, cycling audience is only just getting to know them. So Van Vluten has won a bunch of those as well. That will sort of go a little bit unnoticed, I think. Um, but it's our job as commentators in the future now, when we look back on the history books in the women's sport and women like Adam Meek and hopefully a few others, we'll talk about all of those results in years to come about what they achieved and stack them up against some of the men's results because they are massive. 100%. And also, let's remember that she had a, a massive crash at the Olympics. She came back from it. Yes. Uh, so the, the career has not been as easy and as smooth as we thought. But at the end of the day, the results on 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 the result sheets are amazing for Adamic Van Buten. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, we're pretty lucky that we saw her, witnessed her winning in Wollongong, the world champs in Wollongong. And that day I commentated it start to finish she was not going to win she mm -hmm. wasn't going to win pretty much from halfway through the race to the end remember she crashed in the mixed team no the team's time trial yeah she crashed down the start ramp they thought she'd fractured her wrist she turned up and it was like she's never going to win she didn't look good the whole race she attacks them 600 meters from the line everyone looks at each other she rides away and wins so moments like that for me that was where her proof was that she is one of the greatest because not only physically was she good, but mentally super tough. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, we'll be able to see her a, a lot more on the, the commentating. She's very linked with uh, the NOS uh, commentary team in uh, for, ah. for, the, for the Netherlands. So we'll be uh, able to, okay. uh, to see her. I wonder. The, the only shame is we don't speak Dutch, so we won't hear or we won't understand no, what she it'd says. No, be nice <laughs> to, yeah, it'd be nice to, well, we might see her at both tours 
Tour de France yeah. is next year. Who knows? Absolutely. And then also remember that she wrote for an Australian team uh, and she gave a big hug to our very own Gracie Elvin when uh, she won the Tour de France last year. And that footage is available again on the SBS Sport social yeah. media. Maka, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you today. There's no whole more week uh, about the Vuelta. You already ran through some of the stages and yes. what we are looking for. Question, is Sepka's going to win this race, mate? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with my heart. He's, because I want him to, he's going to do it. And I'm going to make a call right now to management and tell them what to say to Vingegaard and Roglic. And they're going yeah. to support him. He's going to win. There you go. Do you know, Google, Google used to have to this saying, don't be evil. I would just say, Jumbo Visma, don't yeah. be evil. Let Sepkus win this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it'll be good for the sport, good for them. And imagine imagine how much Kurs will appreciate that too. 100%. Thank you, Maka. Thank you very much. This was the uh, SBS Cycling Podcast. Uh, we'll see you at the end of this Vuelta for another episode. Until then, it's bye for now.